You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, I am uh, so excited about this series that we're doing on Ephesians as a church together. I think there's no better place to be than in God's word. And, uh, and that's where we are continuing today. So Pete kicked us off in chapter one of Ephesians last week, and, and we're continuing uh, right to the end of chapter one. And uh, just to kind of orientate ourselves a little bit uh, about the book of Ephesians. So this was a letter that was written by Paul to a group of Christians who lived in a city called Ephesus. And these uh, these Christians were were in in this big city, which was uh, quite a quite a worldly place. It was it was a city that was uh, obsessed with with sex, with power, with ambition, with success, uh, with money, and um, and and these Christians. So they were really in this in this in this hot seat, and they were very much the minority in this place. And so that's the the first thing to recognize is you know. Look, they, they weren't in too different of a place than we are today. You know, we're, we're in a city which is a which is often a wonderful place to live, but also has a lot of uh, a lot of worldly pressures, a lot of uh, things as Christians that it can be difficult to to live through. And so, this letter is a letter that explains a lot of the doctrine, a lot of what it means to be in Christ, and then also what uh, what that means in terms of the lives. Of Christians, you know, what the implications of being in Christ have on the life of a Christian. And so this passage in, uh, that we're looking at today, verses 15 to 23, really follows on from the first half of the, the chapter, which is all about, um, talking about the blessings. We heard this last week, the blessings that we have in Christ, the fact that we are adopted, we are chosen by God before the world was created. Um, that, that we have, uh, yeah, we have these blessings. We've been chosen. Um, and that we have actually been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we can have that confidence. And so Paul was, was writing to, to Christians, um, in this, in this book. And he goes on in this chapter after talking about that to, to really just offer up a prayer and some thanksgiving to God. And he says this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he's thanking God for the church. He recognizes that they have a faith in Christ Jesus and that they are living out their faith. He says that, you know, you show your love towards all the saints, which is another word for Christians. And then he goes on to ask this. That the Lord God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So he's asking God for this revelation. And he talks about the eyes of this, eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's your metaphorical sense that they would truly grasp, they truly understand these truths that he's about to talk about. And so really it's a, it's a prayer for revelation, for believers to understand how much they have in Christ. And we're going to look at three elements of that revelation today. 
We look at a revelation of hope, a revelation of power, and a revelation of who Jesus is. And so firstly, hope, a revelation of hope. In verse 18, it says, uh, following on um, from from Paul asking for, for their eyes to be enlightened, the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. And he goes on to say that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So he says that these Ephesians, as Christians, have been called to a hope. Now, what is that hope? Now, he's not talking about some generic hope of like a better life, an easier life. In fact, you know, for the Ephesians to follow Christ, that would have been probably a lot more difficult because of the context that they were in. But rather, this hope is a hope of uh, being with Christ after this life is over. He talks about the riches of your in- of the inheritance, you know, this inheritance that we will go to enjoy to be with Christ face to face when this life is over. In Philippians one, Paul says this, uh, talking about this uh, this kind of contrast between living on on earth and and being with Christ, and he says this: For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So he's saying, look, if there's a choice between the two, although, you know, being on earth, you know, there, are, there is some joy that we can experience. It doesn't compare to being with Christ. And really, as, as Christians, you know, that is something that is something that we should allow to, to drive our lives. You know, we should have that at the forefront of our minds, thinking about that future hope. And allowing that to shape our decisions and the actions that we take now. Now, a lot of us have used Zoom uh, over this period of time. And, um, you know, while I think we can recognize Zoom has its uses, you know, Zoom is, is, isn't comparable to being in, uh, in real life. I think, uh, you know, I'm personally looking forward to seeing a, a lot of you on uh, October the 4th next week. Um, and really, if we think about being in person, you know, what is that's like versus just being on Zoom? I think I think we'd all recognize we'd choose to be in person, if possible, every time. And really, that's a that's a way to think about this life compared to the life that we have in Christ. It doesn't compare. It doesn't compare. Uh, when we be with Him, it will just make this life look so insignificant. And so, how much of our time do we spend thinking about that and investing? in our future life with Jesus. You know, there's this concept that, uh, well, I certainly used to use uh, to my shame a lot um, as uh, when I was growing up. And uh, it was this concept of YOLO, you only live once. And it was it was all about just focusing on the now, not forgetting about, or just forgetting about next week, forgetting about next year, forgetting about anything apart from what you are doing right now. And, uh, you know, I have these uh, memories of just doing silly things, you know, and, and shouting YOLO as I did them, you know, just, <laughs> and I guess, you know, that is, that is what the world teaches us to do is just to focus on the now, you know, forget about the future. Who cares about the future? But really Paul is saying, that's the wrong way to think. You know, you've been called to a hope. So live out as if that is real because it is. The second thing uh, Paul talks about, the second revelation is power. And he, and he goes on in verses 19 and 20 to ask, 
uh, that the Ephesians would understand what is the immeasurable power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Paul really here is asking that God would open the spiritual eyes of the Ephesians, that they would understand what is the power of God. And he talks about that this is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, Jesus, who was God, came to earth as a man. He lived a perfect life. He then went to the cross and took all of the bad things that we'd ever done, sin, upon himself. And he paid the price for that, which we should have paid. He paid the price for our sin and died and then was raised again by God, defeating that power of sin, defeating the power of death, and now offers us all that forgiveness if we follow him that is accessible to us. So that is the power that, that is the same power that uh, Paul is talking about here, God's power that rose Jesus from the dead. And in fact, that power is also offered to us. It says it's offered toward us who believe. And this, a power, this power enables us to act in accordance with our hope. It enables us to, to live a life that is not in slavery to sin, is, is not succumbing to, to all these challenges and temptations that we all face in this life. Here's a, a fun fact for you on a, on a Sunday morning. In one second, the sun generates more energy than has been used in all of mankind's history. So if you think of all of the energy that man has ever produced, you know, burning wood, coal, oil, nuclear power, whatever it is, throughout the whole of history, the sun produces more energy in one second than all of that. I think that's a useful way just to think about the power of God in comparison to our own abilities. You know, my, the best I could do in terms of you know, generating power would probably be you know, making, a, making a fire or something like that. You know, that would probably be pretty difficult for me, if I'm being completely honest. But, um, <laughs> but God's power is just so much greater than our own, and he offers us that to fuel our lives. Colossians 1.29 says this, and this is another letter uh, that Paul writes. And he says this, For this I toil struggling with all his energy, God's energy, that he powerfully works within me. And we can all uh, access that and we can all um, follow Paul's example by leading his life, uh, by drawing on the power of God. So we've talked about hope, we've talked about power. The, the last uh, revelation is, uh, is one of Jesus. Who is Jesus? So Paul continues in this passage and he says this, that God has raised Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in the, this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This passage is a beautiful passage talking about Jesus having authority and power over everything you could possibly imagine. Every powerful person, every powerful nation, they are all, uh, they are all 
incomparable to the power that Jesus has. And so if, if Jesus is uh, all-powerful and has authority over everything, that makes him Lord. Uh, and this is a, a biblical concept that the Bible talks about. He is Lord over all. And if he's Lord over all, then he's also Lord over our own lives. What does that really mean? It basically means that we give him the control, that we allow him to guide our lives. Now, the full title of the Queen of Great Britain is this. Second fun fact for you. Hope this isn't turned into some kind of pub quiz. Um, Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. Now, uh, you may not be a particular fan of the monarchy. I don't know. Maybe we could have a chat about that next week. But, um, and, and you, you know, you may deny your allegiance to her. But, you know, really, anything we do or anything I do or you do can't take away from the fact that she is the Queen of Great Britain. And in a sense, the same goes for Jesus. You know, he is the Lord over everything. And we have, a, we have a choice. You know, we can either recognize that as the truth or we can live in denial of that. And I would pray that, you know, all of us would just recognize that Jesus is the Lord over, over our lives and that we would submit to all, area, all, all, of, all of the areas in our life to him. You know, whether that is money, whether that's family, whether that's sex, you know, whether that's what we do in our free time. I pray that we would we would recognize that truth in our lives. And actually, that is where we experience the most joy. So how do we respond to all of this? Well, I think the main thing we can really take from this is, you know, God does not want us to settle. He doesn't just want us to settle in the fact that we are Christians. He wants us to go deeper and understand these truths. He wants us to understand how much we have in Christ and to let that take effect in our lives. The hope that we have, the power that we have access to, and the fact that Jesus is Lord. And C.S. Lewis, who was a great Christian writer and thinker of the 20th century, says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what has been meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Let's not settle as Christians. If you, follow, if you consider yourself a follower of, of Jesus, I would pray that all of us would go deeper into those truths. And if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then know that this is what is on offer to you. Jesus calls you into a relationship with him. He offers you that hope of an eternal life with, spent with him in perfection. He offers you the, the power to go through your life uh, facing all those challenges and overcoming them by his enablement and that he, he, he offers himself as 
as Lord over our lives. And, and again, that is the, the place of most joy that we can experience. So whether you consider yourself a, a, a follower of Jesus or not, you know, God really calls you deeper into this relationship with him. And I, my prayer is that, like the Ephesians, that we would respond by going deeper and understanding more of what that truly means to be in Christ.